a study of the book of 1 John. And so if, if you're new to this church, we preach in monthly themes. So we pick a theme for the month so that there's somewhat of a cohesive thought uh, for a couple weeks in a row. Sometimes that's topical. Sometimes we study a book of the Bible. And this month we are studying the book of 1 John. And so if you did not, the difficulty studying a book of the Bible is that uh, each week really does build on the next because you're getting context and understanding. So if you missed last week, I do encourage you to listen to it. Pastor Peter started the sermon series, uh, or this theme, and he did an overview of chapters one and two and also gave us a lot of context for what John is writing to, what, what the uh, situation was going on in that time, in that city. So I encourage you, if you missed it, to go listen to it so that today has a little bit more uh, context to it. I do not have time to summarize all of it, but I'm just going to say this so it doesn't feel too crazy jumping in today with chapter three. And that is that John was writing to the early church, and he was writing to encourage the believers because there were many people that were starting to break off from the church, from the message of Jesus, from what they had witnessed, from the life uh, and death of Jesus Christ. And they were starting to break off from that and start to preach a different message. And so Pastor Peter really kind of got into to some of the different messages that were being preached, like Gnosticism and, and different things. And so that's the context, very, very summarized version of what this letter is for. So he's writing to encourage them and say, listen, this is the message of Christ. Here it is. Anyone preaching a different message, I don't know what it is, but it's not the, the way of Jesus. And so this book is actually very direct. It's pretty intense. And so it's, it's been very good for us and it's been very good for me to study. So I just want to acknowledge before we begin that this chapter in particular, chapter three, I think is probably the most direct and the most challenging of all of the chapters in this book. And maybe I just feel that way because I'm the one having to preach this chapter. Uh, but it, it's very direct. So give me a show of hands. And if you're online, just type in the chat box, who prefers directness? Like just give me the cold hard facts. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't fly. Okay. Y'all are gonna love today. <laughs> this is gonna be real good for y'all. Now, uh, who likes, who wants to hear the truth, who wants to know, but you know, thinks that tone matters, context matters, the setting matters. That's me, who, who prefers that? Okay, yeah, give me the truth, but come on, let, let's, let's uh, soften it a bit. Let, let's give some, uh, some context. Okay, we're gonna struggle a bit today. And I'm going to do my best. I, I, I'm going to do my best to be gentle in this presentation because that's what I like from people. And I, I like getting gentleness from people. But I will say this, to be challenged by Scripture is good. It's a good thing. If we're never challenged by Scripture, if we're never bothered by what the Word of God says, that's a problem to me. That means I've just made up something that feels real good to my human self. And if that's the case, then, then, then I don't need God, right? Where, where's, where's the challenge to my flesh? So although I'm prefacing this, which is gonna be challenging, it's gonna be very direct today, I'm gonna tell you it's very good. This is a message we need to hear. And so John is really gonna give us in this particular section, the chapter three that we're gonna read today, he's really giving us the answer of are, are we really a Christian? Am I a Christian? 
And he uses the terminology child of God. So that's kind of the theme of this particular chapter. Are you a child of God? Have you joined into that family? And so that's the question we're going to be asking today. And he's going to give us two things, two evidences, two proofs in your behavior and your actions that show that you have accepted Christ, that you have accepted him changing your nature to be more like him. So... Let's get in. Now, different preachers have different styles. Last week, Pastor Peter kind of gave us an overview of the two chapters. We're going to read today, and we're going to read the whole thing. So just strap in. We'll get through on time, I promise. But we're going to read through some. When you, if you see, if you, I don't know how good your eyesight is, but if you see that little star, that's a hint that we're going to stop and we're going to think about and take some time to think about what we're reading. So let's begin. First John chapter 3, starting at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Amen. Let's start already. We're going to stop. We're not going to stop at every verse, but, but this is important. Because this is kind of the theme. This is setting up the theme of this chapter, that we are children of God. And this is important revelation to have if you're a believer. The revelation that you are adopted into the family of God, this is important to understand. And you might be like, well, what's the big deal? If you, if you had good parents on this earth, you had a good dad, a good mom, you're like, I don't really need the revelation of God as my dad. You do. It doesn't matter if you had the best parents or terrible parents. Every believer needs to have a revelation of the theology of adoption. It's you are grafted in. You've been accepted into God's family. Not by anything you've done. He has offered that gift to you and we have the, the choice to accept to be a part of his family. And it's important that we know this because you need to know in here, in your spirit, that you have a father that loves you, that approves of you, that forgives you. This is important for us in our Christian walk to know this, to really have a revelation that we have been adopted into his family. You have a good father. Let's continue. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so, okay, again, he mentions we are his children now. That is our identity now. And what we will be when he returns, because we believe as Christians that we will go one day and live in eternity with him in heaven. He's saying we don't really fully know what that will be like but we know we're going to be like him. We know it's going to be good, but we don't know what it's like to be intellectually without error or falsehood. We don't know what it's like to be physically without weakness or sickness. We don't know what it's like to be spiritually without sin, but we know that we're going to be like him and that it's going to be good. And anticipating that day is what helps purify us now because we live differently in light of anticipating that. Let's keep going. Verse four. Everyone who makes a practice, okay, wait, pause, sorry. It's gonna get real here. Okay, here's where we start to get into like the the, the difficult stuff. So let's just hang on. We're gonna read like six verses here and then we're gonna think through it. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Lawlessness means you, not just like, ah, I break the law sometimes. It means you are totally unsubmitted to any guidance. So sin is not just like, oh, 
I should really stop this bad habit of biting my nails. If I'm practicing sin, I am saying I am submitted to nothing and no one, and especially not to God. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Can't get more direct than that. How about that? Uh, For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy sin. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Okay, he's about to say the two things, the two things that are evident. Not the two things that make you saved. Salvation's free gift, accept it. He's saying, by this it's evident. Here's the proof, here's the fruit that you accepted that free gift, that you said, yeah, I wanna be a child of God. I wanna be in the family, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna live like my dad lives. I'm gonna copy his behavior. This is the fruit that you've let Christ in your life, or if you're a child of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So here's the two things, that if you're saying you're a child of God, if you're saying you're a believer, then that means you practice righteousness, which the example he's giving us in this chapter is to practice righteousness means to stop the habit of sin. And the second one is to love others. So let's just take a few minutes and kind of detangle this a little bit because this is challenging. It's challenging to hear someone say, to hear uh, John tell the early church and he's telling it to us now, still relevant, that if you continue in the habit of sin, then you have never seen God, and you certainly don't know him. Man, that's difficult. So before we talk about the implications of that a little bit more, I wanna explain, because there, if you remember from the first chapter of this book from last week, in John, he writes, if we say we are without sin, then we deceive ourselves, right? So, so he's basically saying, you, you can't say you're never gonna sin, even, then, then you're full of pride. So in one chapter, he's saying, oh, you, you're gonna have sin in your life. But then in this chapter, he's saying, but if you keep practicing sin, you're not even a believer. So which is it? It seems like there's a contradiction there, but there's not. And let's, let's look at the nuance of this. In the Greek, there's different verb tenses. And it's, it's difficult in our language because it doesn't translate the exact same way. So in 1 John, when he says, if you claim to be without sin, you're, you're fooling yourself. That verb tense there is a occasional sin. A one-time happenstance. So he's saying, if you're saying, if you think that you will never, ever sin, well, you're fooling yourself, right? Because there was only one person who has ever lived completely sinless, and that was Jesus Christ. And that's why he could be the sacrifice for our sin. But now here in verse three, the the verb tense of the word sinning is to have a habit of continual sin. 
So here in chapter three, he's saying, for those that know they're sinning, know what sin is and continue to do it, don't stop, don't repent, but you continue to do it day after day, week after week, month. That is the person that cannot say they know God, that cannot say they've seen God in a way that has transformed their life because the fruit, the evidence that you have been with God is that your nature changes. Your nature begins to change. It's not something that happens instantly. It's like getting pregnant. When you get pregnant, people can't see it on you right away. But over time, the changes start to take effect. And it's the same with our faith. It's not something you physically see when you arise when someone gets saved. But over time, you should start to see the evidence of your nature changing to be like Christ. And so it's a lifestyle of forsaking sin. And so when, you say, when it says, when he says that someone with the Spirit of God abiding in them cannot sin, it doesn't mean it's physically impossible, okay? It doesn't mean like, oh, I must not be a Christian because I can still physically sin. So it doesn't mean you're physically incapable of sinning. We, that will always be the case in this flesh. When it says you, you cannot keep sinning, it means you cannot live under the weight of that conviction, under the heaviness of knowing that your communion with God has been broken Someone who has really been with Christ, that knows him, that loves him, that has having him change their nature, cannot live in the habit of continual sin because that burden is heavy to know that my communion with him has been broken. There's something in between us. So either I repent and I say, God, forgive me. Take me back to your child. Wash me clean. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop this. I'm going to get accountability. I'm going to get counseling. I'm going to do whatever it takes to break this sin habit in my life. You, you, children of God do that, or you have to kind of distance myself because you cannot live under that conviction knowing that you are harming the, um, the communion you feel with God, you have with God. It's kind of a little bit like um, if you're married, and a husband comes home, and there's a certain feeling in the room. Nothing needs to be said. You know, I'm not slamming doors and, or yelling. But David comes home sometimes, it's like, after 30 minutes, an hour, and he's like, there's been a transgression. <laughs> I feel I have transgressed. I don't know what the error was. But I feel there is a disturbance in our communion, right? It's like you can feel when there's something between you and your spouse, when something's off. And so when we are in the continual habit of sin, a Christian, a child of God feels that and you can't live under that. And so you get right with God and you repent and you break the habit of sin. John here tells us that you can be deceived into believing that habitual sin doesn't matter. We can start to believe that. Or we can have an excuse in our minds of why this particular thing doesn't apply to me or this isn't, you know, this isn't really a sin, is it? We can be deceived. And he's encouraging the church. He's saying, come on, don't be deceived. Don't fall for that lie. If you are claiming to be a Christian, then that means you are breaking the sin nature. You are allowing God to break the sin nature in you. You know, uh, one of the ways we do this, one of the ways that we... Um, get deceived to thinking that habitual sin doesn't matter. Is if someone, if you, if you have a friend or a mentor or someone in your life and they start to kind of 
ask you some questions about a certain way you're living or thinking or speaking or whatever the case is. They're kind of challenging you a little bit. You know, something that we love to say is, uh, don't be legalistic. Oh, that's just legalism. That's just legalism. Don't put, that's your conviction. That's not my conviction. We love to say that. And listen, church, I'm here to tell you, there is legalism in the church. I'm not saying that we don't get legalistic. Sure there is. Morning people, be honest. Morning devotion people, you think you're better than evening devotion people. I know it, I know it. It's kind of like, oh, you do your devotions at night? Oh, I'm much holier than you. Okay, legalism, yes, legalism happens. But we so easily throw that out there when really we don't want to feel conviction. Or say, oh, that's your conviction, not mine. And so we, de- we can deceive ourselves into ha- thinking habitual sin doesn't matter, or thinking that it's something else. When you are a believer, when you are a child of God, and you realize you've transgressed, because it's going to happen, you run towards God instead of running away from him. That's the difference. We're not working towards perfection. No one is going to be perfect. Only Christ was perfect. So we're not working towards per- perfection. The, the Christian life is marked by progress. That I'm moving forward. That I'm not the same today that I was yesterday. The, the, the righteous man is going to fall, but scripture says he's going to get back up. And you get back up by repentance. I'm not gonna stay down in the pit that I fell into last night, I'm gonna ask God to forgive me and I'm gonna get back up. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. The kicks just keep coming. It's not getting any easier yet in this chapter. Cain and Abel, that might be a reference that you don't, um, you're not aware of if you're, if you're new to the faith or just, just learning about Christianity. But there was, it's an account in the Old Testament of two brothers and they offer their offering to God, their tithes to God, their first fruits to God. And it said that Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's wasn't because God saw their heart. And, Cain, and Abel was bringing his offering out of love for God and Cain Cain was doing it out of obligation. And we know, you can say, well, how do you know his motives? We know his motives because when God was like, favored Abel's offering, Cain killed him. Instead of saying, a child of God would say, you know what, God, you're right. My motives were not right here. Forgive me, forgive me, I'm coming back to you. Instead of that, he's like, let me get rid of this guy that's making me feel bad. Envy is always against someone close to you. The sin of envy. I'm not envying, uh, you know, Tim Keller, a famous preachers, Mike Todd, all these. I envy the person that just preached last week in my church, right? That sin that, that creeps into our heart. So what's interesting about that, this account of Cain and Abel is that Abel was killed for doing the right thing. Have you thought about that? He did the righteous thing and he was killed. And this is very challenging to us in the West, in our Western Christianity, because it's so easily tangled with prosperity gospel. We don't think it is, and we, and, and we, 
we're like, yeah, yeah, no, no, we don't, we don't buy into that. But yet, when we're not blessed, when we serve God, God, I've served you in this small group for 10 years. Where's my spouse? Where are these kids? I thought I'd get pregnant. I thought I'd, I thought I'd never lose my job. I thought you'd bless me. I thought you'd make, it is in there. It's in us. It's in us to think that if I do the right thing, then nothing bad's gonna happen to me. That's not what Christianity promises. In fact, it promises us much of the opposite. All but one of the disciples were brutally murdered, martyred. And people all around the world now, today, are losing their lives because of Christianity if we're doing the right thing. So why, it's like, why are we talking about this? What is the point of this? My point in saying this is, that this is a truth we have to accept and be okay with because it, we are promised that the world will not like the message of Jesus. They didn't like it, they didn't like him. They took him outside the city and murdered him. And so John is saying this and Jesus says it elsewhere in the gospels that the world will not like you because they do, they do not like the message of Jesus. Most people like most of the message of Jesus. If they study the life of Jesus, they really love who he was as a person. The problem is that when there's a line drawn in the sand to say, okay, but there is such a thing as sin. And that's a big no-no in our culture because our biggest God we serve is just self-pleasure, what I want to do. And so for anyone to say that I can't pursue what I want to pursue, that's like a big no-no in our culture. So here, being hated likely means being canceled. Cancel on social media, canceled in your class. Can't, you know, people thinking that you're, all these terrible names we throw out now that everyone's afraid of in society. But there is something that we have to accept about this. That the message of Jesus is not going to be well received by all. Let me read you a quote. This is from Leonard Ravenhill and he was a uh, evangelist preacher and if, uh, well, I'll read it first. Okay. This is taken from a sermon. So it's like there's fragment sentences and run-ons. It's because he was talking. This isn't from a book or anything. He's talking about Jesus. When he was born, there was no room for him in the inn. He got a bit older. There was no room for him in his family. His family turned on him. When he went to the temple, no room in the temple. The temple turned on him. And when he died, there was no room to bury him. He died outside the city. Well, why in God's name do you expect to be accepted everywhere? How is it that the world couldn't get on with the holiest man that ever lived, but it can get on with you and me? Are we compromised? Have we no spiritual stature? Have we no righteousness that reflects on their corruption? Man. Listen. I am not saying that this scripture to say that the world will hate you is an excuse to be an a-hole. I'm not. See, some personalities, it's like, that's all I needed. Thank you. You know, and you're just like knocking them all down. It's like, well, God said they'd hate me. I'm doing the Lord's work. No. The second half of this chapter is talking about how much you have to love people that you will literally give up your life for them. So we are to be the most loving people in our society and yet understand and accept that you may still be hated, that you will be hated, not by everyone, but by those that reject the message of Jesus Christ. And for many of us, there's something in us that's like, no, 
I can, I can find a way around it. I can make sure that, you know, that, that nobody ever hates me ever. We are to be the most loving, the most winsome, but there has to be something in you that reflects the righteousness of God. So if at some point no one is ever bothered by the way that you live, the righteousness you walk in, then that's a problem, I think. Because people should see the way we live and either be curious or crazy about it. Crazy meaning angry, not like it. When people see us live in a different way, in a righteous way, not in a judgy way against the world and not in a holier than thou way, but when I'm walking in righteousness, when I am living in a way that says, okay, I'm gonna break the habit of sin in my life and I'm gonna choose the path of righteousness, that should make people around you either be like, whoa, why do you do that? Why do you live that way? Curious, and that's the inroad to the gospel, or it's gonna make them crazy. And they're gonna be like, I hate that. I hate that you think you're better, you know. It's gonna have, scripture promises us that, and so there's something in us that needs to be settled with that while being loving. Okay, let's get through these last scriptures. 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So there you go, you don't get a free pass to, to get into dumb arguments and to be rude. We have to love people. Everyone who hates his brother is, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this, we know that we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does love's, God's love abide in him? I just want to say quickly here that I've seen some incredible things happen in the church over the years growing up here. I know that you'll hear lots of bad things the church has done and things the church has gotten wrong, and that's 100% true. But I just want to say I have seen some absolutely incredible things. Generosity you wouldn't believe. Our group bought a new car for someone whose car was wrecked. Um, people in this church have paid for homes to be repaired at no cost, roofs to be repaired, people providing meals for those in times of need, watching each other's kids when they're recovering from surgery or had tragedy. There is such generosity in the church, a spirit of love in the church, and that is what um, we are called to. Okay, this is the last uh, chunk of scripture. But I just wanna say that laying down our life for people doesn't just mean that one moment that will probably never come for us here, that where you have to literally die for someone. Laying down your life means laying down your wallet, laying down your time, laying down your pride of always being right or never wanting to be misunderstood. Laying down your life means a lot more than just actually dying. Okay. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commands us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. To close, I just want to kind of talk on that last 
section there when it talks about your heart condemning us, condemning you. There are times when your heart will condemn you, where you know you've repented. You're like, okay, I'm breaking this habit of sin. I know God forgives me, but we still have condemnation. And this scripture there promises that God's greater than our hearts. He knows. That's God saying like, hey, I already know everything. I'm greater than that. So you don't have to enter in condemned if you have repented. And then he says, and if your heart doesn't condemn you, great. Go on in, ask for big things. Get moving. I'm gonna end with a story because we're gonna pray a prayer of repentance because what else do we do after a chapter like this in the Bible? So we're gonna just take a few moments to repent if you want to. But I'm gonna end with a story and I told this story many times, so forgive me those of you who've been here years, you've heard this story so much, you can say it again probably better than me. But I, but I haven't been able to think of a better visual uh, so far, so I'm gonna tell it again. Um, when I was a little kid, we had BB guns and we were allowed to play with them. And there was a balloon. So Jared and I, my younger brother, we were outside and I was like, let's try to pop the balloon with the BB gun. And so we put it on the sidewalk that if, if you've been to my parents' house, they have a sidewalk from their front door down, down the stairs. And then there's like the area you park in. So our van was parked down there and I put the balloon on the sidewalk and then I backed up and shot at the balloon. And I, I missed the balloon, important piece of info there. I missed the balloon and the BB ricocheted off the cement of the sidewalk and ricocheted and hit the van window and it shattered. And so I took off and I ran into the woods and they lived on five acres and so I just ran. And I was in the woods crying and my brother, he like came with me. He's like, ride or die, we'll start new lives. We'll get new names. You never have to go back. Did he do that? No, he ran inside, right? He ran inside, why? Because his heart wasn't condemned. He, had, he didn't do anything wrong. He was just watching me do this. So he ran into the house to tell my parents while well, I was like ready to start a new life in the woods. And I was just like crying. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I don't know what I was so afraid of. I felt guilty that I cost money. I'm like, they'll never be able to fix it. They'll never afford it. You know, they're, they're gonna be mad at me for playing with guns. And you know, they weren't mad at that part, surprisingly. But so eventually my older sister, Crystal, comes out and finds me in the woods. And she says, what are you, what are you doing out here? And I go into the whole thing. I shattered the window. They're gonna be so mad. How are we gonna pay for it? Uh. And she said, Aslan, they already know about the window. Dad already knows. Come inside the house. He's not mad at you. And so I want to tell you today, maybe you have something in your life that you know is a sin that's a habit. And I believe God told me to, today that there's people that have just been living in the woods because you're ashamed to come back in the house. You're scared dad's gonna be mad or you're just so embarrassed because you're like, I know better. Let me be your big sister today. And I'm coming to you and I'm saying, come back inside. Come in the house. And you might be thinking, but he doesn't know he's gonna be mad. And I'm here to tell you, he knows. He saw you break the window. He sees you with the alcohol that you depend on too much. He knows that person you call when you're lonely. 
He sees the anger that you have that's not a righteous anger that, that, gets, that lashes out. He sees the subscriptions you have that are keeping you addicted to things. He sees what's going on on the computer when, and on your phone. He sees it, Dad's already seen it. Come back inside. He's not mad at you. He will forgive you. Come back in. So let's pray this morning. You can stand if you want to. You can stay seated in your chair. But if you want to take this opportunity, I'm going to repent. And you can join in. You can speak to God, whatever you want to say. But if you know that there's a habitual sin in your life, let's, let's ask God to forgive us. Maybe it's not a habitual sin, but you know something has come to mind, that an occasional sin you fell into. Let's just deal with it. Because guess what? A child of God runs to the Father when he's messed up, not away from him. You don't have to run into the woods. He's your Father, he's a good Father. He will accept you. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you reside in us, that God has placed a deposit of himself in us. And if we have accepted the work of the cross, then we are in your family. We're in. We're your kid, and we know we're gonna mess up, and we know we have messed up. And so, Father, we are just saying right now, God, we ask you to forgive us. I ask you to forgive me, God, for the sin I've done this week. I know that you are the only one that's perfectly good, and you were that sacrifice for my sins, and all I have to do is say I accept it, and please forgive me, and it's done. So for those that have, been, that have been hiding in the woods, too ashamed to go back in, pray that they come back in the house. They come back in. We know, God, that you are there, that you will accept them, that you've forgiven them. God, help those of us overcoming sinful habits that, that, that have um, a pattern of sin, Father, I pray you give, you fill them with your strength right now. You fill them with the boldness to say it ends today. And that they would find an accountability partner, talk to their small group leader, to talk to a pastor, say, what can we do? I'm gonna start counseling. I'm gonna check in with you. Whatever I have to do, you hold on to this stuff for me. Whatever it is, I'm closing the door to this habit of sin. I'm closing it. I'm not gonna leave it cracked open because there's no difference between a crack and a wide open door with sin. So I pray that they come inside the house and they would slam the door shut. Fill us with boldness, God. We don't have to have shame over anything in our past. We just have to ask your forgiveness and walk in it. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're good. Thank you for your forgiveness. And we leave here filled with your righteousness. Your word says, if we practice righteousness, then we are righteous as you are righteous. And so turning from our sin and, and stopping those habits is a step of righteousness. And if someone here is, is praying this for the first time, if you've never come into the house before, welcome. Welcome to the family. You have a father who loves you, who's gonna challenge you, who's calling you to a bigger purpose than you ever knew existed. Amen.